the first time I voted in an election was the 2000 presidential election. The first time I tried to vote was in 1988. I was six years old. I was in first grade. My school was a voting center. And the week leading up to the election, everyone is talking about voting, 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 voting. You've got to vote, 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 vote. If you don't vote, you hate America. Vote, 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 vote. So election day, I got off the school bus, walked into the school. There was the voting check-in center, went and stood in line. <laughs> got up to the table. I said, I think I'm supposed to vote here. And uh, they smiled real big. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, we started what I think is the most important series that we have ever done here at Bayou City Fellowship in our seven years, talking about the kingdom of Jesus. Colossians chapter one says that when you place your faith in Christ, connecting your life to his, you were transferred from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God's son whom he loves. First Peter chapter two describes that kingdom, says that we are now a royal priesthood, and it says that we are a holy nation. So while you can look at a map and see Canada, the United States, and Mexico, you cannot look on a map and see the kingdom of Jesus. We are an invisible nation living inside what we can see, visible nations. And there are no votes in the kingdom of Jesus. There are no ballot boxes. But there is a leader. And I want to talk about that leader today. You see in your listening guide, there are four questions I want us to ask this morning. Question number one, who is the leader of this holy nation that we are a part of? Number two, what is that leader like? Number three, what is the agenda of the administration of the kingdom of Jesus? And number four, are there term limits in this holy nation? Isaiah chapter nine, verse six is where we'll read today. Isaiah is a message sent to God's people, Israel, with two primary themes. Number one, if you don't change, judgment is coming. And that's what happened. They, they refused to worship God. They got caught up in different idols. They would make sacrifices to other gods instead of offering their lives to the one true God. And so judgment did come in the form of Babylon, an empire at the time. Message number two, once you get to Babylon as exiles, here's how you are to live. And towards the beginning in Isaiah chapter 9, God knowing everything that was coming, he was giving his people hope. Uh, a leader is coming. Uh, a savior is coming. And that's what it says in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Question number one, who is the leader of this holy nation? The prophecy starts in verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now what's interesting is Jesus fulfilled both of those statements almost word for word. Now, I know this feels like a Christmas passage. In fact, just to lean into the Christmas theme, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter two for just a moment. Hobby Lobby already started putting Christmas things out. So I thought, you know, I like Christmas as much as the next guy. So uh, I turned on some Christmas music this week. I just want to let you know it's too early. It's too early even for a guy who loves Jesus and loves Christmas. It's too early to celebrate his birth. (laughs) 
But in Luke chapter 2, that familiar Christmas story, the angel appears to the shepherds to let them know Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. And listen to these words in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Back in Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born. Luke chapter 2, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Almost word for word, same language. The author of the gospel of Luke, Luke is using this language on purpose. He's reaching back to Isaiah chapter 9 because this was the prophecy. A leader is going to be born. A king, a savior is going to be born. And then it says, to us a son is given. More familiar to all of us, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. To us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Colossians chapter 1 affirms Jesus' leadership as the head of our holy nation. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The Apostle Paul saying Jesus is the undisputed leader. In everything he gets supremacy. The scripture is clear. Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. He is the leader of our holy nation. So the question then for us is who are we following? Jesus is the leader of this holy nation we are now a part of, but that doesn't mean we're following him. Almost all of us exclusively have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook on our devices. We are constantly checking in with our friends and family to see what's going on. We literally follow them. Even at stoplights, we'll pick up our phone to just check in. Maybe some, something has happened in the life of someone we love or people we don't even care about. Just uh, We can't sit at a light for 30 seconds anymore. Uh, we have to, to know what's going on. We, we, are, we are literally following these people because we want to know them. The average person picks up their phone 70 times a day. Uh, Most of those are used for social media. Think about how often and how much different things would be if we picked up the Gospels 70 times a day. If we checked in with Jesus. Think about how much better we would know him. We would know what he wants. We would know what he doesn't want. It says the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus and shoulders may ring a bell. John chapter 19, it says in verse 16, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote on an inscription and put it on the cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Pilate didn't know what he was writing. He was doing it to mock Jesus. This is the king of the Jews, but how can he be a king? He's being crucified. 
But he was correct. Jesus was the king. He is the king of the kingdom. And they put the cross on his shoulders and made him carry it from Jerusalem outside the city up to the hill known as Golgotha, the place where they crucified criminals outside of Jerusalem. The government of Jesus that he bears on his shoulders begins with the cross. The cross is the constitution of the kingdom of God. By it, we have entrance into this kingdom. By it, we have forgiveness of sins. We're able to repent. We're able to turn. We're able to change. By it, we receive grace and mercy. By it, we receive purpose. The government that he bears on his shoulders begins with the cross that he bore on his shoulders. He is the undisputed, unchallenged, unrivaled leader of this holy nation that we are a part of. Question number two, so what is he like? Back in Isaiah chapter nine. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are four titles usually given to describe uh, God, but God through the Spirit, through Isaiah, is saying these things will be exhibited in the Messiah, the Savior, the future King. Wonderful counselor, extraordinary counselor. We see Jesus giving extraordinary counsel both in quality but also in uniqueness. When the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You remember what Jesus said to him. He gave him some instructions and the scripture says that he went away sad because the counsel that Jesus gave him was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. It was not normal. Most people would have said to that rich young man, keep generating wealth and be generous. Just do what you're doing. Just keep, just do, you're doing well. Keep on doing it. But Jesus said, no, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. It was extraordinary counsel. It was unusual counsel. It was not what he wanted to hear. The same thing happens when Jesus gives counsel to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel at the time in the first century. They had already established what they wanted to hear. And when Jesus would tell them things that they didn't want to hear, they demonized him instead of listening to what he said. But his counsel was wonderful. It was good. But it reminds me of how when I go to the doctor or you go to the doctor, some of us are getting older and our doctor will give us prescriptions, not the medical kind, but the work kind, like go and work out, run, eat a banana every now and then. Change your diet, less fast food, more healthy stuff. So then we go to the grocery store to get all that healthy stuff because it's expensive. We go Whole30 and then you got to buy everything. You got to buy the spice. You got to make your own spices. You got to plant a garden six months in advance so that you can harvest it to do Whole30 in the back half of the year. But you get everything ready. You buy the blenders and the mixers. You spend $1,000 for this diet that you're going to go on because your doctor told you to do it. And then we try it for one day and we're like, no, that's too hard. I'm not doing that. I'd rather die young. <laughs> or when my kids are running through the house and I need them to take out the trash or feed the dog or whatever it is, so they stop. I give them instruction. They hear this instruction and then they run on and forget what I've said. God is always giving us wonderful counsel. But it's not always easy. So we just say, nah. We want to at first. We buy all the stuff. Go out and buy a new Bible for crying out loud. 
Buy a new book on Amazon. Start over. Start fresh. Day one is good. Day two is hard. We quit. Or we hear his counsel. We agree with it. But as fast as we agree, we forget. I mean, many of us have heard more sermons than any one person needs in a lifetime. And we have forgotten everyone. Sometimes we forget, we, me. Sometimes I forget by the time I get to my car. We agree, it's good. It's good advice, it's good counsel, wonderful counsel. But that doesn't mean we listen. It's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. It means powerful warrior. He has ability. This is what Mary and Martha were believing when they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, was sick. And and they were saying to him, we know you can heal him, so just come back to Bethany with us and raise Lazarus from his sick bed. But Jesus waits. Lazarus dies. When he finally does get to Bethany, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't be dead. We know you have ability. We know you have power. We know that you are mighty God. And even now, she said, if you ask God, he will give you whatever you want. He has that ability. He's everlasting father. We see God fathering Israel throughout the Old Testament. He protects Israel. He leads Israel. He even disciplines Israel. That's what the message of Isaiah is. It's a message of discipline. Hope, but discipline. This is how Jesus interacts with his disciples. He leads them. He teaches them. He shows them the way. He protects them. He even disciplines them. He corrects them. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. Peace is a sense of rest and contentment for your soul. And that is Jesus' domain. Wherever he goes, peace goes with him. When he rules, he rules in peace. We see that when he, through his power, heals the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. When a man named Jairus comes to Jesus because his daughter is dying, Jesus heals her, raises her from the dead. When the widow of Nain is in the funeral procession after her son has died and Jesus peeks over the casket and raises that young man from the dead. These are three people who had no peace. They interacted with Jesus. They had peace because peace is his domain. Question number three, what is the agenda of the administration? What is the agenda of the administration when there's a new president or new governor? This is what people talk about. What is the agenda going to be? Because politicians tell us they're able to do everything for us. Everything we've ever wanted done ever, they are going to be able to do. No politician has ever done that before. But when they get into office, everything is going to be different. That's what they promise. But we know it's not true because as soon as they get into office, they tell us what their agenda is because really they can only do two or three things. These are their focuses. These are their priorities. So what are the focuses? What are the priorities of Jesus' kingdom, this holy nation that we're a part of, where they're listed in Isaiah chapter 9? 
It says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So there are three things, three priorities on the agenda of Jesus as he leads our holy nation. Number one, peace. Number two, justice. Number three, righteousness. These are his priorities. These are the markers of his administration, of his government. There's a theme throughout the scripture of God's delegation. We see it from the very beginning. Colossians chapter 1 already mentioned it. When God created everything, he delegated that responsibility to Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 says, by him and through him, all things are made and nothing exists without him. God delegated that responsibility to Jesus. God delegates judgment at the end to Jesus, John chapter 5. Jesus delegates his presence with all disciples through the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. Jesus delegates the preaching of the kingdom of God to the 12 disciples and also to 72 disciples. He delegates that responsibility to all his followers in Matthew chapter 28. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see a description of that delegation when it says in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we as followers of Jesus have been given delegated responsibility. We're not just citizens. We have a job to do. We are ambassadors in his kingdom, which means the agenda of the administration is now our agenda. It means we know what to do. We know how to... Respond to our neighbor. We know how to love Houston. We know how to serve people. We know how to interact with people at work. We know how to help our friends. The agenda of the administration has now become our agenda because we are ambassadors. So we bring peace, we bring justice, and we bring righteousness. So when your neighbor experiences death of some kind, who should it be knocking on their door? an ambassador of peace. When everybody in your office is arguing about politics and it crosses that line from healthy debate to I hate you and you walk in, does peace walk in? When you see unrighteousness in this world, does it break your heart? When you see it in you and I see it in me, does it break our heart? When we recognize injustice in Houston and around the world, do we just shrug our shoulders and say, what can we do? Or do we say, well, I know where my next assignment is. Because I am an ambassador of the kingdom of Jesus and his agenda is peace and justice and righteousness. So wherever he goes, those go. Wherever I go, those go too. So are you using your influence to bring those three things to the world? And if not, you're wasting your influence. And finally, question number four, are there term limits? In this holy nation of ours. 
What's interesting is I've assumed that there were term limits in the United States government since the beginning. But actually, it's a pretty recent thing. After Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president, they ratified the 22nd Amendment that said a president can only serve for two back-to-back terms. But historically, every president has agreed with those or was forced to agree with those by the voters. Even George Washington, if you remember from uh, history, now I know those of you who grew up in Texas, you only study Texas history, you could care less about what happened in the rest of the world. But for those of us who didn't grow up here, we cared about everyone else. (laughs) And we learned about the founding of our nation and how after the Revolutionary War, President Washington was elected and everybody loved him and he served a couple of terms and everybody still loved him, which was a miracle. And so there was a movement to just say, hey, let's just make this in perpetuity. Let's just, you be the president forever, lifetime appointment. And he said, no, he, he retired, he stepped out. And every president from then on ended after two terms or was forced out after at least two terms. Are there term limits in the kingdom of Jesus? Well, we see in Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, that there are not. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And then towards the end, from this time forth and forevermore. What's interesting is historically empires are not able to survive. Alexander's empire did not survive. The Roman empire. Uh, The empire of Mali in Africa was said to be in the 1200 and 1300s the wealthiest empire in the history of the world, which includes today. That king... Uh, Mansa Musa was so rich that he coated everything in gold. Not just his palace, not just his stuff, like the whole capital was coated in gold because they had so much gold. They said about the empire of Mali that it would take you one year to walk from one side of it to the other side of it, just in Africa. But most of us have never heard of it. Even the British Empire more recently did not survive. Empires historically cannot bear the weight of their own influence. But Jesus' empire, Jesus' nation will survive. How do we know this? Because of the very last word in verse 7, the zeal of the Lord will do this. This is what God is passionate about. The Father is passionate about Jesus leading his holy nation, us, his kingdom, his being on the throne. He will never be stopped He will never be thwarted. He will never be outdone, outmaneuvered, outranked. He will always be the king. He has no term limits. But we can't always see his kingdom. And that's what Jesus was saying in Mark chapter 4. When he says in verse 30, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The kingdom of God is growing. Jesus' lordship is bringing in new territories every single day. But like a seed that's planted, you don't notice the growth until afterwards. So it could be possible that we could look around the world and say, Jesus' kingdom actually feels like it's shrinking. Feels like it's not what it was in the days of my grandfather and great-grandfather and forefathers. 
But as Isaiah chapter 9 prophesied, Jesus affirmed that his kingdom goes into the ground like a seed and it grows and grows and grows and will become the largest of all the kingdoms. It just may be imperceptible to our eye at the moment. There is no end to his reign. And he is always increasing the territory of his lordship. They didn't let me vote that day. Big shocker. They turned me away kindly. And as I mentioned, there are no votes in the kingdom of Jesus. He is not running for election. That's why he doesn't tell us what we want to hear. He doesn't give you a vote, but he does give you faith. And you can place your faith wherever you want. So the question for us this morning is, where are you going to put your faith? To whom will you give your faith? To whom will you turn? Let's pray.